Let us pray. Loving Father, we pray for your presence of your Holy Spirit among us here today. Guide our thoughts and our words, that everything that is said and done may be to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said this week, the Church remembers John the Baptist. And the lectionary reading that we've just heard, that was appointed for last Sunday, saw him confined to a prison. And I have thought a lot about John the Baptist this week, imagining him in chains, squatting in a rat-infested cell, dirty and unkempt and probably terribly afraid. John the Baptist, after all, was an outdoorsy sort of person, living in the wilderness of the Jordan Valley, foraging for his food, locusts and wild honey, and dressed in camel hair with a leather girdle. Icons depict him as a stern, fiery, uncompromising figure. Yet our reading from Matthew's Gospel depicts him as broken and despairing. And this seemed a rather strange reading to put alongside the other readings for the third Sunday of Advent, which encourage us to rejoice and have joy. The Hebrew prophet Isaiah wrote that someday the coming of God's kingdom will break forth like a highway in the wilderness, or crocuses blooming in the parched desert. Someday, he insists, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, The lame will leap and the dumb will shout for joy. Water will gush in the desert. Burning sand will transform into a bubbling spring. Isaiah prophesies that someday gladness and joy will overtake us and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And by contrast, this gospel reading places us in a context quite different from Isaiah's blooming wilderness. Joy is not evident here behind the bars that hold the fiery baptizer. Imprisoned for for speaking the hard truth to Herod, John is in chains and in crisis, wondering if he has staked his life on the wrong promise and the wrong person. The Messiah, perhaps as far as John can tell, has changed nothing. He was supposed to make the world new. He was supposed to bring justice, fairness, and order to human institutions, in John's mind, that is, so that a cruel tyrant like Herod will no longer sit on the throne. Jesus was supposed to finish the costly work John started so boldly in the wilderness, to wield the axe, bring the fire, and renew the world. But things have not worked out in the way John expected, and all he has left as he paces his cell is an anguished question for the would-be Messiah. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? John is caught between despair and longing. He has staked his entire life on Jesus. 
had it all been for nothing. John was having a crisis of faith. It had all seemed so promising at the beginning. As I said, the lectionary reading for today comes from Luke's Gospel, and rather strangely, it moves us backwards to think about John's conception and birth. And you may remember that John's father, Zechariah, goes up to Jerusalem to do his priestly service. He is chosen to offer the incense sacrifice in the sanctuary just outside the Holy of Holies. And this would have been the greatest privilege of Zechariah's life, a moment of huge emotion. He was an old man and probably thought that this opportunity had passed him by. After he had offered the incense and prayers, he would emerge to bless the waiting people. So Zechariah leaves his two assistants by the altar of sacrifice and he enters the silent darkness of the sanctuary, entirely alone. He approaches the small altar of incense and puts the grains on the fire. With him, he bears a deep sadness that Luke calls disgrace. Despite being good and faithful people, he and his wife Elizabeth were childless. So much future hope and the continual blessing of God were seen in the bearing and nurturing of the next generation in Jewish culture. And the absence of that generation gave a sense of futility to the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So as the incense rises, Zechariah rests in the silent presence of God, bearing the prayers of the people as well as his own joy and sorrow. At the appearance of an angel, Zechariah is terrified. The angel calms his fears and tells him that Elizabeth will bear a son who will be named John. John will have the spirit and power of Elijah and will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and so prepare the way for the Lord. Zechariah's response is a turning point in the story. How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. This apparent lack of trust and faith provokes the angel to silence as Zechariah for nine months until the birth of his son. Zechariah, dumb, eventually emerges from the sanctuary very late to meet the people who are waiting his blessing. He is silent. In that silence, he returns home and his wife Elizabeth Suspecting that she was bearing a child, remains in seclusion for five months. She hopes beyond hope that her shame had been taken away and that she could look forward to the future in the form of a child given by God. When Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, John leapt in his mother's womb at the first glimpse of the pregnant Mary. So John was a boy who grew up with prophetic expectations ringing in his ears. From an early age, he must have felt the exhilaration and the burden of his calling as the forerunner. 
He knew he was supposed to preach repentance to everyone who crossed his path. His fiery and uncompromising preaching drew huge crowds and moved many to receive the baptism of repentance. John saw the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descend like a dove on the newly baptised Jesus. And now we are shocked because John has moved from absolute conviction to a paralysing doubt. He has moved from boldness to hesitation, from knowing to unknowing, from heavenly light to cell darkness. John was so sure of Jesus, so convinced that he would change the way things were. And so he's having this spiritual crisis and he's struggling to hold on to his belief in Jesus. Jesus responds to his cousin's pained question with perfect composure and gentleness. Go and tell John what you hear and see, Jesus tells the disciples who bring him John's question. Tell him that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Blessed is anyone who takes no offence at me. In other words, Jesus says, go back to John and tell him what your eyes have seen and your ears have heard and your hearts have understood. Tell him how the kingdom of God has come in quiet and scattered ways. Maybe not what he expected, but the kingdom is coming in elusive, mysterious ways. Just change your preconceptions, he seems to say. And see how I emerge in the lives of ordinary people all around you. But only if you'll consent to see and hear. I wonder how we would see Jesus if we took that invitation to heart. I wonder where and how God would appear if we were more attentive to the stories and the people we don't usually notice. If we do this, maybe we won't have certainty, but we will have faith. Did John understand what Jesus was saying to him? How did he respond to Jesus' answer? Did it satisfy him? Did it quell his doubts? Did it renew his joy? Well, we really don't know the answer to that question. All we know is that the liberation Jesus spoke of did not come to John in this earthly life. Yes, the blind saw and the deaf heard and the poor received good news. But these joyful stories came to John second hand. They never really became his own. His own story ended in death, a meaningless, grisly death that made a mockery of the divine justice he preached and sought all his life. And John's untimely death disturbs us. It shakes us that Jesus' faithful messenger should suffer in this way. Why do we have to dwell on this before we celebrate the joyful festival of Christmas? It's hard to contemplate John's undeserved suffering and terror. Somehow we feel a need to blunt the edges and to soften the blows. 
But this story is disturbing and challenging because it chimes with the reality of many of our own experiences. The prison bars that hold us don't always give way. Our doubts don't always resolve themselves. Justice doesn't always arrive in time. Questions don't always receive the answers we hunger for. But Jesus calls us to see and hear all the stories of the kingdom, and that includes John's story. Blessed is anyone who takes no offence at me, Jesus says. Offence turns away, offence gives up, offence builds a wall and hides behind it because reality is harsher and more complicated than we expected it would be. Yes, some stories are terrible. They break hearts and end badly. People fail and people die, and this too is what the life of faith looks like. Don't take offence, says Jesus. Don't turn away. Now, strange as it may seem, after saying all that, John the Baptist is the patron saint of spiritual joy. When it was time for him to decrease so that the Messiah could increase, he did so willingly, saying, my joy is now complete. But as far as we know, his life on this earth ended in darkness and unknowing, beheaded on the whim of a dancing princess and her mother. Or maybe there's another side to this. Maybe there is something here that we are missing. Joy in a prison cell isn't about sentimentality or happiness or the suppression of our own most painful crises and questions. The silence of his prison cell, maybe John realised that God's work was bigger than the difficult circumstances of his own life, calling him to a selfless joy for the liberation of others. Maybe John teaches us that joy is what happens when we dare to believe that our Messiah disillusions us for our salvation, stripping away every lofty expectation we cling to so that we can know God for who he truly is. Maybe John's joy was otherworldly in the most literal sense because he understood that our stories extend beyond death and find completion only in the presence of God himself. His father's Zechariah's punishment was also his blessing. Silenced for nine months, he had time to contemplate the unfolding providence of God before his very eyes. He couldn't initiate or explain or even respond And for that nine months, he could only watch and receive the unfolding promise of God. John, too, found himself confined in silence. He could no longer preach and proclaim. He longed to know that all was going well, that goals were being achieved, that what he had done had been successful. And like his father before him, he looked for guarantees and signs that God would continue to fill his promises. So what then can we learn from this passage? 
First of all, Jesus' message to John. Let go of your preconceptions of how the kingdom will come. The kingdom comes in gentle and unexpected ways. Learn to listen in silence. Before we proclaim this God who calls everything into existence and brings life and beauty from the most unpromising stuff, we need some silence to attend to this wonder. And don't we find it so difficult to find that silence at this time of the year, even in this season of Advent, when we are meant to be silent at times and be reflective. In all our human endeavours, whatever our job or calling, God, who calls us into being, calls us from beauty and creativity and kindness. And we learn to see, have to learn to see it and not talk over it. We have to understand that the Advent Scriptures reveal the heart of God. They name the sorts of people whom God goes out of his way to embrace people who are perhaps forgotten by the world, but who are remembered in God's compassion. The blind, the lame, the diseased, the deaf, the poor, the dumb, the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the bowed down, the foreigners, the orphans, the widows, the humble, and then my three favourites, those with feeble hands, weak knees and fearful hearts. The Christmas message to these people is do not fear, be patient, have confidence. So Jesus gave his answer to John. He reminded him that God cares deeply for the invisible and the ignored, the marginal and the vulnerable. Those who get society pushes to the edges. Jesus reminds John that God is a God of tenderness and love who seeks to redeem us in whatever sort of lostness we find ourselves. Are you the one who is coming? John asked in despair. You decide, Jesus answered in love.